What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a podcast where you'll feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of 305 Culture. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knock a Few Buck, Daily Thunder, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Drive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y-S-E.com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And, quote, and welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, the Miami Heat season is officially over. It ended on Saturday. So, Kenneth, how are we feeling right now? Pain, man. Um... I mean, even after a few days to let it sink in, it's still painful. However, uh, the better team won. The better team won. It's unfortunate that I have to admit that, but, I mean, we're at that point where we're a little bit past denial, so it's kind of like acceptance. The better team won. They were better than us. Um, This series, uh, records say they were a better team all year. But just to be quite frank, we still could have beat them if our guys had a play to the point to give us a chance. And I specifically um, mean, you know, our superstars, don't get me wrong. We go and come as they go and come. So, you know, you have to look to them first. Um, Jimmy couldn't get shots to go for the most part. I think he was something like 19 for 64 for the series. Um, that's like 29%, by the way. And he got um, outscored. He got outscored by Brent Forbes. Come on, man. But, Brent, but, but I'll be honest, you know, Brent Forbes was on his Duncan Robinson, meaning 90% of his shot attempts were threes. So if you just do the math, I, I you know, you I can make a case there. But, no, either way, I don't care what kind of case you make. That's bad. When you're the star guy, you get outscored by Brent Forbes. By the way, though, I mean, just to touch back on that, Brent Forbes was nuts from outside this series. I mean, I don't know what got into him. Yeah, props to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, he hit a ton of big shots. I mean, why against us, though? That's the point. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, you know, I mean, and then just to tie a ball around that, that was the Jimmy part. Jimmy was aggressive. He was trying, man. He gave it all he had. He did He did all he could. I'll be honest. But 
and doing all he could, he couldn't hit shots. And that's what kind of killed us with him. Um, with Bam, I mean, me and you have talked inter- intermediary throughout the week or throughout the series or whatever. And basically, you know my gripe with Bam, man. He'll get the ball. There'll be three to five feet of space between him and Brooke Lopez, who's just standing there at the rim. And it's kind of like a canal where it's one-on-one. Like, the whole defense is split. You have the Miami Heat offensive players on the right and the left, and then you have the corresponding Bucks players on the right and the left guarding them, which kind of just leaves Bam and Brooke face up with the rim being behind Brooke. So you're telling me that Brooke Lopez is the only thing separating Bam out of bio from the rim. And, I mean, there were just too many times throughout this series, too many times to count, but at least 20. Um, where he just had that look and didn't take it. He he ran around with everything he had looking for somebody to pass the ball to. And when you're one of the star guys who we depend on, you can't do that. Not all the time. So that's kind of my thing. For me, it was the play of the four guards that I mentioned before the series. Uh, Goran, Tyler, Kendrick, and Duncan. Duncan, you know, he had that stellar game one. He played fine. But I was obviously Tyler Hero was very disappointed this series. He scored 37 points in total. For context, he had a 37 point game against Boston last season. So, you know, that and, and Jimmy and Bam struggling offensively was. We couldn't. The, we struggled against the, bus, the Bucks' length. And it was. Aside from that game one. We looked overmatched every game. It's plain and simple. The Orisa lineup didn't work. The shots weren't falling. It was just disappointing. At least Dwayne Detman showed up. He played hard every game, which was a positive. But you know, I don't know if they were. I don't know if Bam, I honestly thought that Bam might be injured for some reason because he, you know, he. Didn't look like himself this series. Maybe he was just struggling. Maybe there was just a confidence issue. Maybe I don't know what what went, what was going on with him. But yeah, I even thought that he got injured and very disappointing. And to an otherwise, I found it to be strange. I know that you disagree, but I found this season to be very strange. I guess I I'm proud of this team. The fact that they turned or turned it around after a the seven and fourteen start which was mostly due to Jimmy Butler's extended absence. But still, the signs were there all season, to be honest. The offense, at times, it looked unstoppable. But then it was all dependent on the, on the on two or, or three of the, four, of the four guards. Sometimes Kendrick went on a hot streak. Tyler t- started to look nice by the end of the season. Goran struggled all season long to recover his form, and only by... The last couple of weeks, he started to show around, to show some encouraging signs, and I thought that in the first round, it would all come together and beat the Bucks again. But credit to the Bucks, I said it all season long. The Bucks, this isn't the same Bucks team. They got way better, and here, I listen. If there's anybody that can knock off Brooklyn, it might be Milwaukee. I think they match they match up perfectly with them, but yeah, I let's mean, keep I mean, it let's keep it within the heat right now. But and we'll talk about that later. But you want to say something, Kenneth? Yeah, I mean, I kind of so three things there, man. Um, 
First of all, on the Bucks, I think you're giving them a little too much credit. And I say that to say this. We, for some reason, and, you know, you can point to the defense or whatever, whatever, you can do what you want. But for some reason, against Miami this year, teams had, like, the infinity gauntlet of three-point shooting. Um, Like, there were a lot of times where guys were getting wide-open shots. Okay, and that was because of the defense, switching everything, whatever, whatever, trying to get out. Then trying to build a wall, you also got to have a guy hanging off that can actually go contest a shot, guys getting out late, whatever, whatever. Okay, we'll give them that half the time, even if you want to go 60% of the time. But then if you look at the other 40% to half the time, guys just hit ridiculous shots on us, bro. I mean, like, whether you're looking at Malik Monk from Charlotte, whether you're looking at the first Milwaukee Bucks game from earlier in the season, whether you're talking about... Whether you're talking about Ross, whether you're talking about the Atlanta Hawks, whether you're talking about the Chicago Bulls, uh, I mean, save for Denzel Valentine bonehead shot, they beat us near the end of the season. I mean, it's it's just like teams, they saw Miami, and everybody became Reggie Miller. Like, all five guys on your roster, all five guys on the floor for you at the time became Reggie Miller when Miami Heat was on the other side. That's the first thing. So, I mean... Don't get me wrong. The Bucks had to hit the shots, but um, I, I can't explain it. It's inexplicable. Again, there were times where the defense that we play caused us to be late to get out to shooters or to cause us not to get out to shooters. So that that's that. But then you have like another, like I said, 40 to 50 percent of three point looks that you're just like, yo, are they going to make everything? And I didn't think that that would metastasize for a whole series in the playoffs. And it did. Um, I mean, the Bucks were nuclear. Okay, that's that. Now, let's move on to the two of the four guys thing you mentioned. It's funny you say that. You say two of the four guards. I think we just need two guys, two guys. If two guys that go for the Miami Heat are going, then we always have a shot. And the game I point to to make that case is game one. Yes, you have you only had Duncan and Goring going, quote unquote, but we had a shot. In the remainder of the series, we couldn't get two guys going in the same game. So for me, anytime the Miami Heat can get two guys going, two of their main scoring guys, the rest of the guys typically can do enough offensively and defensively to give the Miami Heat a shot. Um, but other like I said, other than game one where you had Goring and Duncan going. They couldn't get two guys going in any series. I mean, in any game in the remainder of the series, and especially when the Bucks were shooting from three like they did, as I mentioned in point one, you need two guys going. Okay, l- lastly, to address your third point, I don't think it was a weird season for exactly the reasons that you said. Um, the Miami Heat were banged up. They were hurt. They dealt with COVID like everybody else, but to a certain extent where they experienced their absences early at a point where it was necessary to have your guys to build that foundation. Um, you know, they never got out to a stable start. And especially after going so deep last year into the playoffs, I felt like getting out to a stable start this year was important because you didn't have the benefit of being fresh. So you had to get off to a good start so that you could build your foundation with already shaky legs. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand like, what you're like, saying. 
it's like, yo, your legs, the legs of your foundation aren't the most ripe wood anyway. You're using reused wood. So while it'll work, you have to be extra careful and make sure you do every step that's necessary because you have to reinforce that used wood, which is very quality. It's just that it's used. So we're going to CYA and cover our own asses. And I don't think the Miami Heat afforded themselves that opportunity and be that victim of circumstance with the COVID situation, with injury or whatever. I just think that the start they got off to was so bumpy that it was hard to maintain footing. And that's what's supposed to happen when you don't have your best guys. You're supposed to lose games. So that's why I don't think it was weird just as much as they, you know, unfortunate circumstances. Now, two more things that I forgot to say, and they're real quick and they're associated with this. What the Miami Heat didn't get this season was the benefit of the doubt. All season long, when you looked at the Los Angeles Lakers specifically, who were the team we played in the finals last year, as they struggled, people often say, oh, the playoff run took a lot out of them. They're just not healthy from the playoff run, whatever, whatever. I guess that's because they won, because when they looked at the Miami Heat, nobody gave them those passes. They should be better. They're not going to be the same team they were last year. What about we're not healthy? What about we made a deep playoff run? What about the same freaking excuses that you've tripped over yourself to make for the Lakers all year long? But I digress. Um, On top of the three-point shooting, I would just add one more point. Um, size beat us in this season. When you look at the rebounding totals, I mean, this playoffs, when you look at the rebounding totals, the Milwaukee Bucks out-rebounded us 169 to 237. Again, they out-rebounded us 169 to 237. The floor is yours, my brother. That's, I mentioned it last week. That's never going to cut it. I don't care what scheme you play. I don't care what's your personnel. That's never going to cut it, especially in the playoffs. And a team this big, like the Milwaukee Bucks, just, that's, just a de- that's just death against them to get out rebounded by that much. I know we were probably one of the, one of the worst, if not the worst rebounding team in the league. For basically the whole basically exactly for basically the whole season, mostly due to the scheme we play, was a lot of switching. Sometimes leaves the back line with guards trying to box out bigs. But here's the thing: we, I don't know if if that's something that we need to specifically address, like take a deep look into it, because I think maybe not the the complete answer but a part of the solution should be bringing back Dwayne Detman and see and you know obviously Precious is going to improve now that it was reported that he's going to report to the Nigerian national team I hope that brings him some well-needed experience and and coaching but aside from that we need to improve in that department and find a better a better front court partner alongside Bam, and maybe heck, even maybe slide Bam down to the four, which would free allow allow him to be more more free on offense and on offense and defense, I should say, and guard uh, the other team's for, forward or best front court player without compromising rim protection. Those are some things that that we should be look that the Heat should be looking at this off season. But yeah, the rebounding thing, that's a huge concern. And yeah, 
I think though those that covers most of the key takeaways from the series from the series, unless you have something else to add, but I I think I think that pretty much covers it. The the fact that Giannis guarded Jimmy was gave us fits. We couldn't generate enough offense aside from that game one. And you know, it was it was hard to watch. That game three I I saw that we couldn't generate any type of consistent offense and by then I knew we were overmatched because I really thought that we had a chance in game three, but when they had that big lead and nobody no nothing seemed to be going. By the way, if there was an MVP of this series, it shouldn't be Giannis nor Chris Middleton. I would name Drew Holiday the MVP. The guy was out was he was outstanding for the Bucks. The stat lines won't pop out, but which you when you watched him play, he made everything for the Heat difficult. And he again provided the missing piece on offense that the Bucks didn't have last season. So those are some of my key takeaways from the series. Unless you have something else, Kenneth. I would say that this series showed that the Miami Heat had to allow Bam to slide down and play the four for at least, I dare to say, a third, maybe even half the time during the regular season because there are going to come points during the postseason, as we just saw, where he's going to have to slide down to the four and play beside another big. And it seems that we're scared to do that. And I don't know why we're scared. Is it because the scheme we run offensively and defensively calls for four little guys. I, I don't know. But again, I go back to those. Man, I'm going to say four, four little guys from four very mobile guys. Four little guys, JJ. The, the, the bucks made them look little. We were out. We were out rebounded. 169 to 237. That, does make us look little bro like that's i'm 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 not hyping look i know it's only i know it's 30 still but i'm gonna say it that's damn near 100 boards yeah (laughs) that's ridiculous come on bro you can't win like that listen to this though in in game four we allowed them 15 offensive rebounds in one game, JJ, one game. Now, I know for a fact that seven of those were the P.J. Tucker. But anyway, I, 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 yeah, man, that, that those are my takeaways. Um, we weren't big enough. We couldn't get multiple guys going at least two in more games than one, which was game one, which we lost on a freak last-second shot, which was an evenly contested game, by the way. Um, and, you know... We were tired and hurt, man. I'm not giving. I'm not making any excuses, but that's what we were at the beginning of the season. We were tired. We were hurt. We couldn't get our footing up on this, and we never could develop a consistent identity. That burnt us in the playoffs. I actually asked it, as you know, I write for all you can heat. Check me out when you can, guys. Not to do a shameless plug, but no such thing as a shameless plug. I know you told me that, and I was waiting on you to say that. Um, (laughs) I actually wrote it about two weeks ago. Um, my topic was basically is the change in philosophy sustainable in the playoffs? And this is what I was afraid of. Over the course of the season, the Miami Heat were what they typically are. They were one of the best defensive teams in the league, and their offense hit lows at times. 
Well, in the last month and a half or so of the season, they totally flipped that. They became one of the most offensively efficient teams, and their defense took a huge dive. Well, when you got to the playoffs, you couldn't decide which one of those teams you wanted to be. And in the process, you couldn't be either of them. You allowed all the points, and you couldn't score any. And that was my fear because they had changed in the middle of the season. Also, because they have failed to establish that identity in the beginning of the year due to the volatility created by COVID and the injury situation, it would be hard to counter a team that knew who they were and knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um, The Milwaukee Bucks put that on full display. They shot the lights out. Now we're at home. Let's move on. Yeah. On the bright side. The bright side. What? 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 Wait a minute. I, I kid. I kid. Go ahead. On the bright side, I guess we have a pretty long off season, which allows us to evaluate what we want to do moving forward. I guess some players are going to take some time off. Don Sassum said he was going to the gym, and he's going to take Bam and Precious with him, which I wouldn't be opposed to. But you know. Basically, he's going to get pressures in the weight room and he's going to lock Bam on the basketball court. As he should. And, you know, I'm really excited to see Precious with the Nigerian national team because I think that will get him, if he he gets on the floor, that's going to serve him really well for his development given that he had no summer league experience and no, basically no preseason. I think that that will serve him really well. You think you think that'll do him well, or would you rather see him summer league, playing the summer league? No, I mean, I, I like the whole Nigerian national team situation. Um, that gives him experience against seasoned pros. I mean, don't get me wrong. The guy just needs to play. Whether he plays in the summer league or whether he plays on a national team circuit, the guy just needs to play basketball. But if I had to choose, I would choose the national team circuit because, again, they're, he's playing against grown men. He's playing against the guys he's going to play against in the NBA regular season. Um, but again, even once he's done, or even if he never gets a chance to play summer league, just playing ball at this point is what the man needs because he didn't play enough ball last year. Yeah, I think just give him all the playing time on the world with the national team. Also, Gabe Vincent is going to report to the Nigerian national team. I did not know that. Now that's going to be now that's going to be huge for them because Gabe found a new level of confidence with us this, with us this season. Um, He'll end up probably being one of their lockdown defenders and probably one of their best shooters. I really hope that his shot comes around because it started to fall a bit whenever he got on the floor. But as the guard rotation got jammed up, he was left out. He was the odd man out. I didn't really blame Gabe as much as a lot of people did, because if you look at the jump shot, you can see where it's a good jump shot. For me, the guy didn't get consistent enough playing time. He'd play two games in a row. He'd go six games, come off the bench cold in the middle of the second quarter or the third period. And then he'd go another game, come off the bench cold late in the fourth. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're a pro, so you're always supposed to be ready. But I could see where the guy's shot is legit. It just didn't sink. And to, you know, put a cherry on top of it all, even when his shot wasn't going, though, he went in the lab, he locked it down. He learned some new stuff, and he came back as Avery Bradley with a jump shot. Yeah, and I think his defense was really valuable. He's an active defender. Moves his hands, moves his, moves his He tries, well. bro. That's, that's, you know that's always my thing. Like, don't get me wrong. 
I want you to, I don't want you just to be a try hard. I want you to be good. But to be honest, if I see that you're trying hard as hell, especially with the Miami Heat, you're all about effort, hard work, and hustle, I can't be mad at that. Because Gabe always tried hard as hell. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good point. Now, some comments by the by the, some Heat players in the press. Max Trust said he wanted to be more like Duncan Robinson. So, I guess that's a good thing. It is. It is, but... Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. You, you hit a nerve with that one now. <laughs> no, uh, I was going to say, it's never bad to have two Duncan Robinsons, but it's highly unlikely to have two Duncan Robinsons. Because with Duncan... Duncan, you know, people that don't watch the Miami Heat that much often mislabel him as just a shooter. No, the guy is one of the best off-the-ball... Was one of the best off the ball move. He moves off the ball almost better than anybody in the league. Stands Steph. Steph is the the pinnacle of off the ball movement. I feel, and that's where really that where Duncan really provides his value, keeping the defense to, constantly to, constantly moving. Not to obliterate your point or to try, but I put a pin in that and say Steph studied Ray Allen, who Duncan probably watches a ton of film on from his big three days. Because I would say Ray Allen is the pinnacle of off-ball movement. Steph has taken it to a new level where um, Steph can do it, but three feet behind where Ray did it at. Who did it because Reggie Miller did it. So I guess, you know what? Let me take my, let me walk that back and correct myself. I guess you're right. Because Steph does what the all-time greats did, except he's enhanced it. You're right, JJ. I apologize. Let me shut the hell up. <laughs> no, all wor- no worries, man. And yeah, that if if Max Struss wants to do that, then blood, okay? all po- more power to him. And I really would like to to have two Duncan Robinsons on the court, but you know, that's very rare to see. And I just hope that. Max Trust does it. Speaking of Duncan Robinson, he's Hold on, don't, don't, don't get too far away from Max Trust yet because I know where you're going with Duncan and I do want to get there. But with Max, I don't want him to limit himself. I think his skill set um, can be so much more than just that. He showed it this year with his ability to drive strong to the lane. He's not afraid to put the ball on the floor. Um, where we want Duncan to get more comfortable is shooting the rock off of different platforms, be that off the dribble not just off the, you know, run down, the pin down, the catch and shoot or whatever. Duncan, I mean, Max already has a lot of that in his bag. So I think to say he wants to be Duncan Robinson is dumbing itself down. Um, Not that Duncan Robinson isn't a great player, but Max Struss has more Michael Red than Duncan Robinson. Like, Max wanted to dunk it on you if you give him an open lane, but he also can sink that triple from 30. So I think that for him – just saying he wants to be Duncan Robinson is kind of limiting himself. Maybe not limiting himself into a Duncan Robinson archetype and just be Max Struss. There you go. He, I, I'm going to give you the point that he showed more willingness to drive to the rim than Duncan Robinson did, even, even though Duncan Robinson played... Oh, four four times the amount of minutes, minimally. And I still saw more willingness from Max to drive to the rim than Dun- than Duncan ever did. Dun- and Duncan has he's got long arms; he can finish. I, I oh yeah, oh, yeah. But the thing, the difference between Duncan and Max is Duncan isn't explosive. 
Duncan, even when he gets to the rim, he wants to finger roll it, reverse it, throw it up on some finesse stuff. Max going to try to bang it on you when he get to the cup. And he did. I think he jammed it over. Oh, jam- oh, he's, oh, oh he definitely. Minute. Oh, he definitely threw it down over two guys or so this season. And it would have been three. And I'm still looking for you, Will Barton, because you pushed my guy out of the air to keep from getting poked on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Will Barton's not welcome here in the in the show. But <laughs> well, we well we take that back. Will Barton is welcome here on the show. That doesn't mean we're not going to be mad for the first five minutes. So Will Barton, if you're out there, you're welcome, brother. You're welcome. But we're going to be mad for the first five minutes. Oh yeah, we're gonna we have some questions for Will to answer. Anyway, we were talking about Duncan Robinson, and there's a big decision looming with with him he's a free agent he's a restricted free agent my meaning that miami can match any other offer that gets thrown his way i expect those offers to land i I expect his payday to land between the 16 that joe harris got i believe joe harris joe harris got 16 million a year right around that number it might have been 18 let me do a little research real quick hold tight but I believe it was between the 16 to 18 million range up to 20 million. I believe that's what Duncan might get. He's a premier shooter. So I got the I got the Joe Harris. He said he signed a four-year, $75 million contract, including $72 million guaranteed, an annual average salary of 18.75 mil. I think Berton's got the 16 mil. Hold on. There you go. And, you know, Joe Harris and Duncan Robinson are not the same. You know, they're different type of players. But they're but what they both have in common is they're premier shooters. And and when I mean premier shooters, they're some of the best shooters this league has to offer. And the fact that Duncan might, it's a, I consider him a better shooter than, than Joe Harris. A better player, that's a discussion for another day. But a better shooter, I do think Duncan is a better Sure than him. And, you know, Joe Harris gets to play with Kevin Durant, Joe, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. So I think that takes a bit of, of pressure off of you. And you don't have to run that many handoffs and off-the-ball movement for him like like you have to do here with Duncan when because when either Jimmy or Bam are off the floor. Well, he doesn't play with without Bam off the floor. But, you know, it's hard, you know, because... Having those three guys takes off a lot of pressure off of you. So I guess that's what I wanted to come back to. I believe Duncan will get an offer between that range. So you think somewhere between Bertans and Harris? I believe so. Maybe even more than both of them. Um, I mean, that's kind of been the baseline for a lot of people this season, and I've kind of fought back against that. And for me, you kind of hit on it with Harris. Harris does more than Duncan does. They're both premier shooters, and while Duncan is probably the better flat-out shooter, if you line them up and told them both to take 23-pointers from the same spot, I think Duncan would hit more than Joe Harris, but that kind of explains it. Um, Joe Harris is more Max Struess than he is Duncan Robinson in that Joe Harris will put it on the floor and wants to go to the cup. Now, when he gets to the cup, he turns back into Duncan Robinson because he doesn't want to go up with the ferocity or the explosiveness that Max Struess wants to go up with. However, he does have 
more of a penchant to drive to the cup to finish with the little mid-range floater or something else outside of a three-pointer than Duncan Robinson does. So I think they're different players. Um, again, Duncan Robinson is probably the better shooter. I would say Joe Harris is probably the overall better player at this point um, because he's more multiple. Uh, with that, I don't think Duncan Robinson should make the same money as Joe Harris because he doesn't do the same thing. Now, this isn't me saying I want him to price himself down for him to come back. Let's just put that out there. I want him back. This is me trying to be a realistic, what's the word, a realistic, uh, hmm, a realistic price evaluator, um, appraiser, appraiser, for lack of lack better of terms. terms. But here's something so, for you. He's a restricted free agent. If somebody offers him more than J- what Joe Harris got, you I let think him you go. You, you let him go. I. You let him go. Oh man, I think I. I think he's so important to what we do. I think I would. I would be hesitant, but I would relent and I would match it. I can't pay Duncan twenty million dollars. I, I can't pay Duncan twenty million dollars. If it goes past twenty, then I have to let him go. But if it stays right there at the I, twenty I, mark, I can't pay him eighteen, bro. I can pay him anything below eighteen. But I can't pay him 18, and I can't pay him 18 because I have to make other moves to my team. Again, he's not as good an overall player as Joe Harris. The Nets probably are kicking themselves for giving Joe Harris that money, being that they got KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, and now they're probably going to be in a strap situation beyond this year. Although hindsight is 2020, so I understand they had to give the money to somebody, and for the way the team was constructed at the point when they gave him the money based around those guards and they're big, then I understand it, but they're probably kicking themselves right now. And if you look at Washington, Bertans is now out for the rest of the playoffs, which may not go but one more game, but I think the reports just said he's out three to four or six to ten. I know that's quite the different range, but either way, he's out at least a month. And the, right, and the reports were that they tried to trade him during the middle of the season. There are just too many horror stories out there or too many cautionary tales out there from doling out these type of deals to those type of guys to give Duncan that big of a bag. Comfortably, I'd be comfortable giving the man anything between 13 and 17. 18 and up, he has to walk. I mean, if the Nets didn't give Joe Harris that money, I think Atlanta would have would have thrown the bag at him. They would have. Um, but I'll put it to you like this. Joe Harris ain't no Bogdan Bogdanovich. Oh, no. <laughs> they get they made the, the better decision in signing Bogdanovich. He has been stellar for them, by the way. He has been Absolutely. incredible for them. But but that kind of speaks to it. It's not what you're worth. It's that we have this money set aside for a player of your profile. I really hope it doesn't get to Joe Harris' money. I'm not saying – listen, I, I'm saying what I thought he would get, but what I want him to – what I would like for him to get. Listen, I'm, I'm not watching anybody's wallet here, and the guy's been playing on what – a Two million contract, two million dollar a season contract for the past. Oh, definitely deserves a raise. I agree with you there. Definitely deserves a nice raise. I mean, he should be making at least six times what he's making. I mean, and as you said, two million. So minimally, I know he's going to get twelve to thirteen minimally, minimally, and he deserves it. So if if we can settle at a nice fifteen, 
I think I shake his hand. And hey, bro, like I said, between fifteen and seventeen, I served the man mojitos. Asked him, do he need a ride to the bank? Where you want to eat lunch? I got it. All of that. But you know, that's an interesting decision. The other free agent from the well, the other there are actually three potential free agents in the Heat backcourt. Goran Dragic has a team option of eighteen million. I expect us to decline that option. You know. I think they'll work something out for him to come back. Yeah, Unless, I think they're going to work out a team-friendly deal. What's probably going to happen is he's going to decline that option and we're going to give him two more years at a lower number. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Like, Goran loves it. He, unless, you know, the allure of playing with his with his national, you know, with his fellow national teammate, Luka Doncic becomes too strong for him to pass up. That's, I'm gonna give only, you, that's, give you, that's the only way I can see him leaving. I'm going to give you two things there. Goran is smart enough to know, and he's probably watched a lot of Mavericks ball this year. I'm not going to get but eight shots. In Miami, not only am I going to get 20 shots, but they need me to take those 20 shots. Plus, Jimmy's his bright yay. And like you said, he loves Miami. He ain't leaving. No, nah, I don't think he's leaving. Kendrick presents an interesting dilemma. I've seen his valuation be very low. I've seen some say that that it's going to be very high. I think that's an interesting dilemma that the Heat have because we also have Oladipo's free agency and unless he takes a very, very team-friendly deal, and I mean very, maybe he just put a lot of incentives on it, then I don't think he, he'll be back. He's never, he's not, he wanted 20, he's not going to get anywhere near that from any team. I would say his his career is probably is, is really in jeopardy right now due to those those two knee injuries that he has suffered. But I think unless he takes a very very team friendly deal, we'll probably let him walk. Now the Kendrick, I agree with I agree you. With you. Um, on Depot, I mean he has to take a team friendly deal, and you touched on it, boss. He needs a team right now. The team. Don't get me wrong. If he can be half of what he was or whatever he could contribute, the team, whatever team that is, will take that. But he needs a team right now because, as you said, his career is in jeopardy, man. He has to be able to get back and show a team that he can stick around for 70 of 82 games before they commit anything like big money. I'm going to be honest with you. The man will probably get a one-year deal for about $10 million this year from somebody. And anything over $10 million is a bigger risk. I think that's too high for him. The knee injuries. I, I, I agree with you. Here's the thing, though. You're going to have to pay him because at his peak, he's a borderline all-NBA talent. So that's the sale that his agent is going to make. It's like, yo, we're telling you that he's healthy, and you're trying to give me $5 million for all-NBA talent. I understand there's a lot of risks on your end, but you have to pay me at least 10 for what he could mean to your team. I'm giving you a major discount if he is an all-NBA player, but even if he isn't right, you're only taking a small risk because you're going to give me five or six anyway. So to ask for an extra four for the potential of being all-NBA when you think it could be that he only plays half the games, that's a slight risk as opposed to the 15 to $20 million difference that you'll be getting if he is an all-NBA guy. Do you see the logic there? Yeah, I can see it. Okay. okay, and, that, I, I and if I'm his agent, if I'm his agent, that's the case I'm making. 
And to be quite frank, in situations like these, that's what we have seen. Now, I will be honest with you. If you look at DeMarcus Cousins and how his deals have played out, that gives you a baseline. I think I was thinking just the same thing. Just follow the, the, the DeMarcus Cousins. Just follow the DeMarcus Cousins plan, I guess. But I think you add a little bit more to it because DeMarcus is a big man. And when you're talking about toting around 350 as opposed to 200, there's a difference. That I would be I my say only. DeMarcus ruptured his Achilles. He's a big man. That's a death knee for, for, for big men. However, Victor Vic relies a lot on his explosiveness. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And those two knee injuries, I, I am certain that they have sapped a bit of his explosiveness that made him so effective when he made the All-NBA 13 back in 2018. But that's as a combo guard, JJ. Can he still be a point guard from your team? Can you still count on him to nail open shots? Can he still defend? And then I'll take it from Cuz from a projection on his salary to looking at the kind of player he can now be. Look, D Rose. I, I think his best role, if he were to stay with the Heat, and whatever contract they work out, he could essentially be the quote unquote starting point guard. But you know, you all we all know that Jimmy's, Jimmy and Bam are the real point guards of that lineup. They're the they're the premier playmakers. But if you put him as just this defensive hound on the other bet on the best perimeter player on the other team, and make his open shots. I think that will be enough for me, in my opinion. I agree with you, but let me let me let me let me let me touch something that you just said. Look at the team that just beat us, and I'm gonna ask you a question, and I know you know the answer, but then I'm gonna say something that's gonna confuse you, but not confuse you. Who's the Bucks point guard? Well, essentially Drew Holiday. Right, but who initiates the offense? Most of the time, Giannis. Ah. I would disagree with you. I would say it's 30-30-30. Well, let's well, go 33-33-33. I would say I would Giannis say, most of the time, and then Middleton and, and Drew. Right. I think they actually do it one-third of the time, but uh, a lot of the times where it looked like Giannis is initiating, he's not initiating. He's making a hard move to get Chris or to get Drew to the top so that they can then initiate the actual offense. I think that's what we want to do, or that's what we would look to do if we got Vic back. We would break it down to 33rds, 33rds, and a thirds, where all of the offense flows off of each other. Yes, it may look like I'm initiating here, but this is only to set it up so that you can initiate. I think that would be the theory. Now, their skill sets aren't the same. Jimmy isn't the shooter that Chris is. I would think that would be the only tweet, because when you're talking about um, – from a skill set perspective, even though it may be slight tweaks, one may do something better, the other may do this better. I think Vic at his peak is a little more explosive than Drew, but I think when you talk about Drew's craftiness, his niftiness, he's a little bit more crafty than Vic. Um, strength. Drew Holiday, he's ridiculously well, strong. I agree with you there, but I'll offer you this. Vic's built like a linebacker. At full peck, I don't know if Drew's as strong as Vic. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say he's not as strong. I won't say he's stronger because Vic Vic put together too. Oh yeah, he can he can be strong as hell too. 
Yeah, Vic look Vic looked like prime Ed Reed. That's how he built. You see them broad shoulders? So I don't know. I would just say at different skill sets, but as far as how the Bucks deploy it and how they have each of their guys initiate the offense depending on what they're trying to do, I think that's how it will look. I don't think anybody because I even to be honest with you, I think we have to get away from so much of Bam initiating because that puts him in a position where it lets him off the hook. Because Bam does a lot of initiating, people try to give you the excuse, well, he's initiating the offense. How can no, you need to get Bam's big ass down on the block, down in the paint, where he can get comfortable creating easy baskets. Because there were all too many times during this playoff series where he found himself, man, and this isn't even the situation I detailed earlier with him and Brooke. There were times where he had Brooke on his hip. And he looked confused. He got the rock, took two power dribbles, and then, like, he wanted to turn around and shoot the little flick that hook. But it's like, yo, in that moment, you fill him, you face him up, you turn him back around if you need to, but I prefer you to face him up, hard, hard jab inside or outside, and go the other way and dunk it on his head. But I feel like having him at the top of the key so much um, actually limits his development or limits his ability to explore what his abilities could be down there. Didn't mean to jump topics, but you know how that goes with us. No, no. With bringing up, you know, as you like to say, putting a bow around the bam point and having him not initiate as much of the offense, that brings a Kyle Lowry size question. Can he? I see what you did there and I like it. <laughs> That brings us a Kyle Lowry size question, and you know we have this, we have the money to throw at him for in order to sign here. We know that his relationship with Jimmy Butler is very strong. He's a player that fits the Heat culture and the Heat organization. Now, question is how much money you're willing to to throw at a point guard that's his age and his size. That's a question that some people want to answer, unless you know Kawhi Leonard suddenly becomes available which I, 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 I we gotta talk about all of that i don't think it's as realistic as kyle lowry if it were to happen i would be oh that would be amazing imagine that perimeter defense absolutely but, so let me, I, let me go ahead oh yeah no you go ahead i let me let gonna, me touch on that first um if the clippers lose against the mavericks and now it's looking more like they'll win because they pull even but if they lose against the Mavericks, he's out. Depending on how they lose in the second round, he's out. And while I'm not 100% saying that he'll come to Miami if he's out of L.A., we have a great shot. We have just as good a shot as anybody else. Now, let's get away from the things that we need other help with. Let's get away from that because, again, we need other things to happen. Like, we need them to lose, then we need him to actually opt out, whatever, whatever. And even then, uh, even then, I'm not deeming to cut you off, but even then, if he ends up losing with the Clippers, I just see it. I think it's so hard. I, I can't see him leaving. He he forced himself over there. He, if we all, For two years, we all knew he was going to LA. He bought a house there. The guy is clear. He clearly just wants to be around his family. Unless he takes a mercenary deal with the Heat, which is basically a one plus one at the max with a player option, I just see it. I don't think he leaves L.A. 
Let me ask you this. Something catastrophic happens, which, you know, they, it was on the verge of happening on, until Luka Doncic got the next train, which I think further complicates our Kawhi to Miami propaganda. Let me ask you this, brother. How many people thought he would leave? Okay, not let me let me ask you this first. How many people have ever left San Antonio as being a star? Oh, well, none. <laughs> I mean, Duncan never left. Well, Duncan was about to leave. I don't. I don't know if you've read that story, but he was ready to sign with the Magic, and Doc Rivers blew that. Really, really. Yeah. Interesting. I never heard that story. That's something that I'm gonna have to look into. It never happened, though. No, it didn't with happen. That being, with that being said, this wouldn't be his first time doing something that we never expected anyone to do, if it were to happen. I will say, though, he's a very hard guy to read. Nothing about him ever leaks. He He's stone cold at every press conference. You know, it's very hard to predict... What's it, what its next move is going to be? Now, I agree with your second two points, the press conference and predicting. But I would say that a lot of stuff leaks. I would say that his demeanor just makes you question whether you believe it or not. That's fair. I know in San Antonio, a lot of stuff, when he wanted to get out, he was leaking it left and right. That's for sure. Right, which is another which is another reason why I say no. A lot of stuff leaks. It's just that in that moment, we knew he wanted us to believe it. And a lot of these moments now, I believe, in example, the whole heat thing, I don't believe that came out of somebody's butt. I believe he said that to somebody or somebody close or somebody that knows him has said that to somebody. Now, because of who Kawhi is and because of how he carries himself, we'll never get any of that from him because he doesn't want us to see that right now. But, um, I mean, I think that everything that emanates from the Kawhi camp, it's because Kawhi you know, Kawhi actually has said it or has something to do with it. And, you know, I think it was Stephen A., the one who first brought it up. And I know, you know, sometimes Stephen A. gets a bat rap or something, but I don't think Stephen A. pulled that out of his butt, as you mentioned. There has to be something there. Again, you you touched on exactly what I was thinking, bro. Um I don't think Stephen A is the type of person to just randomly pull it out of his butt. Now, he'll let you know when he's saying, hey, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. But there are certain things that he says he only says them because he's been pointed in that direction. Now, I want to talk about Kyle Lowry because Kawhi, it seems like a pipe dream. Pipe dream. For, That's for exactly now. what I was touching on. Pipe dream. I'm, I'm with that you. Be, Go ahead. That would be the absolute best case scenario. That I think that would be even better than a best case scenario. That would be a hell of a best case scenario. Because That's the apex, I, apex scenario. If you had the perfect scenario, it's Kawhi opting out of the Clippers and joining the Miami Heat. Because if he joins the Miami Heat, I know there will be a lot of veteran players who, want, who won't want to join us at a discount. Because that will be a championship ready team from day one we would have our pick man to be honest because just to be quite frank with you if we return what we had but added Kawhi to it we're at worst it's the second best team in the east exactly because we can counter anybody you, you can counter brooklyn's big three <laughs> that would be incredible but you know 
let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I want to talk about the more realistic option, the one that I think will actually end up happening, that almost well, ended up happening at the trade deadline. Which is so Kyle what's Lowry. your number? What's your number? What's your number? What is the number that you would give Kyle Lowry? What's your absolute bow-out number? Um, and then, you know, what's the number you think is ideal? What's too high is bow-out bow, bow, bow number? Anything past 28. I think I will. I, I don't think he's going to get 28. I was about to say, whoa, wait a minute. Ooh, uh, you you way up there. I was thinking more like 15, 16 is the number. No, number. he's going to get more than that. He's still a you highly so? effective player. I think he's still a highly effective player. I think he's I think if it, I think if it were a one-year deal, agree. But I think we give him like somewhere between 15 and 20 for the next two or three years. All right, I'll say more than 25, I'll, I walk out. More than, 20, more than 22, I walk out. I will give him 22. I think I might give him 22, but anything more than that, I wouldn't. I would do 22 on the head, though. But 22-1, it's a deal breaker. I can't do it. Nah. 22 and a half, to be honest. Anything, I mean, 22-5 or better, I can't do it. That, that, that would be fair, but I, I would, if it's 25 on a one-year deal or a one plus one, I would do it. He would have to give me a break on the plus one. I couldn't give him a 20-22 on the plus one. No, it would be a plus one with a team option. Right. What I'm saying, though, is even if on the option deal, though, whether I had the option or whether he had the option, the salary wouldn't be any higher than 22. You see what I'm saying? Because I feel like I'd be doing you a favor by giving you the 25 now. He's still- even, though you're, even though you're worth it, we're now talking the same thing you were talking with Jimmy Butler. You see what I'm saying? Now I'm speaking from, remember how I spoke to you from Victor's agent's perspective? Now you're going to be Jimmy's Butler? Jimmy Butler. No, not Jimmy Butler. I'm now going to be Pat Riley. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's the godfather for you. <laughs> but no, bro. Um, uh, if I do the 25, Kyle, on the first year, you got to give me a break on the second year. I'll do 25, and then on the option, we'll work out whether that's yours or ours. Let's meet somewhere between 20 and 23. If Pat Riley's, if, if Pat Riley's listening to this, please hire us. <laughs> and I say that because the first year, yeah, we hope that that's the move to take us over the top. But say we're still short one or two pieces, that extra three to five million that we're saving on you, we could then take that and add another piece or two. Now, touching on that, if we were to something that, you know, I had thought about it, but now I've really given a real thought about it now that I'm talking to you about this. Does Kyle Lowry put us over the top of either Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee? Because right now, us, I think that will make us the clear-cut fourth best team. Because I don't think the Celtics will come anywhere near us. Because the, right now, let's assume that we bring back most of the pieces that we have right now. And we sign Kyle Lowry. We're a clear cut for the best team. Now, can we compete with the 
with the other three. I would say we can compete with Milwaukee. Again, I know we just got smoked by them. With Kyle Lowry, I think he's a hell of a player. People, he's, I think he's, a people defender, he's a defender and a big shot maker, bro. And that's what we missed. We needed a big shot maker. And a playmaker, a downhill, a, a downhill threat. That will give you three. Well, two and a half because Bam sometimes, he doesn't, he, he I don't Listen, know. man, I don't think the downhill threat would have been as much help because if you think about it, Jimmy got downhill. When he got to the damn cup, though, like the, the, the 12 seven-footers at the cup prevented him from getting a good look. So especially when you're talking about somebody built like Kyle Lauer, he could have got downhill as much as he wanted. And the way he flops and flails around, um, it wouldn't have made a difference in this series, I don't think. I think his big shot making, his ability to pull up from 28, would have made a big difference because he would have hit a couple of them. But also, you wouldn't have been able to sit Brooke down in the bottom of the paint if you have Cal Lloyd pulling up from 28. Because not only do you have to extend out if you're guarding him as a guard at the top, but he still has the ability to drive by you. So, you know, he's going to pull up for 28 three times, come down on the fourth time and drive by you, and that's going to pull the big up, which then leaves Bam around an open, you know, paint dome. So, I mean, there are multiple things there. And the, de- Cal goes. the defense doesn't suffer. He's still an excellent defender. Absolutely. He, Absolutely. he can switch onto bigger guys. Even though he's a small guy, he's really strong. And he's he's built, he's, I don't want to call him thick. Because oh, no he's, a, he's, 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 oh, no, he's thick. He's a bulldog. He's thick. But yeah. Um, to touch on that real quick, your previous question, not to get too far away. You know, I hate to get too far away. Um, to touch on your previous question, I think that pulls us even with Milwaukee and Philly. Um, I still think Brooklyn, as presently constructed, let's say if we had Cal Lauer, I still think Brooklyn would be the best team talent-wise. I think I think anybody can beat Brooklyn, though, because as we've discussed, all three of those guys have to go nuclear every night in order for them to win, um, which they've shown that they you know, can come close to a can-do thus far in the playoffs. There are three all-time talents on the same team. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So I still think they would be the quote-unquote best team, but I think adding Kyle Lowry to what we have now pulls us even with Philly and Milwaukee. But at the same time, being the most talented team doesn't mean that you always win, and I'll point to the big three with that. So if you can put us in a finals matchup, a conference finals matchup, I like our toughness over anybody, man, especially when we have almost equal or as equal talent. Also, I will say, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and whatever other combination of... Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman. Of Dwayne Dedman. That's going to be hell. That's going to be the tough... That's going to be one of the toughest lineups you ever faced in your life. Bring your lunch pail. Bring some water. Bring a hammer. Bring some Teflon. Bring all your good stuff. Your steel toe boots because you fit to work. It's going to be hell to play against. The defense is going to be, you know, you know you're going to be banged up playing playing that, against that lineup for seven, Absolutely. For, for seven Absolutely. straight games. And we got three or so minutes left, man. Let me take over these three minutes. What are we going to do about Dwayne Dedman? I say bring him back. We have to bring he, him I back. We, I don't we think he's going to gonna ask for much. He's not going to ask for much. I think he's going to get at least six or seven, maybe eight, and I think you have to give it to him. Yeah, you have to. He, what you he have showed, to give it to him. What he oh, showed. he showed. He's he sh- he's a tw- what he showed was a twelve million dollar player, bro. And either under that, I just give him. I just print that contract right now. Mm-hmm. And you give him that not only for what 
and and you give him at least two years. You give him at least two more years. I would absolutely bring him back. I, and, I, 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 and, and, and not only for what he can do for you for the remainder of that contract, but you pay him for what he did for you this year, man. Exactly. He came in and he came in. He was a good soldier. When you brought him in off the bench for 10, 12 minutes, he gave you everything he had in those 10, 12 minutes. As he worked his way up, you asked more from him. He gave you more. Um, and not to mention in the playoffs, man, I can't think it was game two or game three, but it was that game where we couldn't get anything going. And it just seemed like the only guy who came to play that night was Dwayne Dedman. Now It was, it game, wasn't, it was game two. It was game it two. It was game two. Now, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to get the job done. But, you know, there were a lot of sad Heat fans that at least got a little spark in their eye watching Dwayne Dedman fight because he looked like he was the only one willing to that night. Yeah, I think he he was outstanding. I would I really want him back. Let's quit it quickly. We've got about a minute here. Ariza. What do you think? At the right deal, I want Ariza back. I don't think Ariza was right. I think that that ankle injury towards the end of the season really was still impacting him during the playoffs because um and we've talked about this before, although he wasn't a demon as far as attacking the rim and finishing you know, throughout his time in Miami, he did go a little harder than he went in the playoffs. He was hesitant to take his shot. Even when he took his shot, it came up short. I have to believe that there was still something going on with that ankle. I have to believe that because he just didn't look right. And finally, Iguodala. I think he, um, I, I think when you go with... Perhaps, but when you go Arizo or Iguodala, I think we ask too much from Iguodala. I wouldn't be mad at the right deal at bringing them both back because in moments, both of them can be helpful. But I think we ask too much from Iguodala. I think 10 to 15 minutes of crunch time play, four or five minutes um, from the second period on for Iguodala because he's going to make the right decision. He can still make big defensive plays for you. However, I think the longer you leave him out there, the longer – you begin to rely on those legs. And I don't think that you want to, because what we did this season, we had to play him coming down the stretch because we needed his body. So I think you want to save him for as much as you can for the playoffs. And even once you get to the playoffs, you don't want to play him too much. So at the right price, I mean, I know people are going to hate this, but he didn't kill us. He made plays for us, whether it was big steals, whether it was hitting big threes, whether it was making the right pass, whether it was just being a veteran presence, encouraging the young guys. I think he helped us. So at the right price, I would like him and Ariza back because if you're going to have guys on your bench anyway, why not have those guys? I think, yeah, the veteran presence that he will bring, that he brings the championship experience is invaluable to, for this team and a team full of veterans that I think it will be that will be key for for Kendrick, Tyler, and Precious. Right. I mean, and when you have a – if you're chasing a title or if you're, you know, in the midst of a great season or a crunchy season or whatever, whatever, tight season, fighting for a play-in spot, playoff spot, who do you want there to ask questions? Freaking Chris Chioza or Andre Iguodala? Of course, Andre Iguodala. I mean, that's an easy answer, right? The, man's a, I mean? the man is a three-time champion. He's been to you six finals. He's been in the league for 30 years. He's made it this far. You want him. So, I so that's all. I think, I think that we touched on everything that we wanted to talk about this week. Next week, we'll talk about a bit more about the offseason. We'll dive deeper into the offseason. So, 
Anyway, thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. You can also listen to us on Dash Radio via the Nothing But Net station. It was a disappointing end to the season, but I'm really excited to see what the future holds for this Miami Heat team. So stick around and listen to us weekly. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. Wear your mask, keep your distance, and watch the NBA. See you next week.